We're turning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, for a number of verses. And then we're going over to, Matthew, to Acts chapter 5, where I will ask you to open and stay and keep the Scriptures open there. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, and the verse 3. And this is what we call the Olivet Discourse. Our Lord Jesus, just before he went to the cross, telling his disciples and us uh, some of the things that are going to take place. Verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him, saying, him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world, or the end of the age, that should be. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceiveth you. That's the first thing. We talk so much about the earthquakes, and the famines, and the man of sin, but the very first thing, and the only thing he uses twice in this discourse, is deception. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars, and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and, note this word now, and pestilences, and earthquakes, in diverse places. And all of these are the beginning of sorrows. Turn over to Acts chapter 5 and open your Bible there. And we will be referring to some scriptures here shortly. But keep your Bible, get your Bible open so that you'll not be fistling at the time. And uh, ask the Lord to speak to you this morning. Of all the prophecies that our Lord Jesus Christ said would come to pass, in these very days in which we are living just prior to his return, the one that we probably heard least of all and has preached least of all is the one pestilences. That is up until the beginning of 2020 when we hit this current global virus. We have, and I have, from this pulpit, emphasized the increasing volume of earthquakes, tsunamis, famines, wars, rumors of war, nation rising against nation, the rise of the man of sin, Antichrist, false messiahs, and all that. 
But in the heart of Matthew 24 and 7, we read that word, the word pestilences, the word pestilences, which is the word plague. Both words go together. The word pestilence and the word plague is mentioned over 200 times in the Scripture. Now, the word that the scientists and the epidemiologists and the World Health Organization politicians use is the word pandemic. And every newscast you'll hear about the pandemic. It's a plague. It's a pestilence. It means the outbreak of an epidemic, a disease or a virus that drives people into pan- panic, pandemonia. Most times, the pestilence and plague is used in the Bible. It's to do with God's judgment and God's wrath being poured out on a nation on a people. Sometimes it's by way of natural disasters, such as famines or floods or earthquakes. Sometimes it's because of immoral disasters like 9-11 or the Manchester bombing. There are disasters. Now, COVID-19 is a pestilence, and it is a plague, and it certainly is a pandemic. And it has been unleashed globally for many reasons. But God had to authorize and allow it to happen and to do it. So you get that into your mind first of all. It seems that the world has rebelled against God. And we know it has. They've rejected his son. They have resisted the Holy Spirit. And God's warning, he's warning the world this morning that this is the beginning of awful judgment that's going to come. And he's also warning the world this morning and warning you and I this morning the fragility of life. And if you're not saved this morning, this is a thunderclap from heaven that you're listening and hearing every day. It's the grace and the mercy of God telling you That you're going to die. And the doctors and nurses and money and nothing can do anything for you. For everything's down the chute. Jobs and everything. So you get that into your head this morning. This is God speaking to sinners. This is God telling men and women that the judgment is coming and this is only the beginning of it. We read that. These are only the contraction pains. That's what the beginning of sorrows mean, the contraction pains that a woman has when she's given birth. She travails. The, the, the whole earth is travailing this morning. They don't know it, but they're travailing. Now, some weeks ago, I told you that there were four kinds of wrath. There's consequential wrath. 
wrath that we bring upon ourselves because of our consequences. Remember Nadab and Abihu, the high priests of Aaron went in and they started to tinker in the holy place with, the, with fire and false fire. They, they, they went against the will and the rule of God and God just knocked them out like that. He cut the two brothers down. That's consequential wrath. And Ananias and Sapphira who lied to the Holy Ghost, God smote the two of them within a few hours of one another. Their consequences brought the wrath of God upon them. And whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. And if we sow sin, we shall reap. And we'll pay for our consequences. And you know that this morning. There's consequential wrath. Then there's abandoning wrath. The Sodomites in Romans chapter 1. God says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the Sodomites. And God gives them up and gives them over and gives them up. He abandoned them. If you're at that trade this morning, you need to repent and run to Christ. The wrath of God is on it. Then there's eternal wrath. All sinners that reject Christ. Jesus said, He that believeth not the Son, the wrath of God abideth on him. Mon are you this morning. Mon. We profession that you made years ago and nothing in it, not saved at all. The wrath of God to care abideth on you. And Paul says we're vessels of destruction fitted for wrath. Oh, I tell you, it's a mighty thing to be saved this morning. It's an awful thing not to be. This present plague, this pestilence, this pandemic is to the measure consequential wrath, but is eschatological wrath, that is end times wrath, which we haven't time to go into this morning. Jesus said these things would come to pass in the last days. There will be plagues and pestilences and famines and earthquakes, and they're all round us this morning. Because they're a mark of the end times. The beginning of sorrows. Don't need the beginning. And they're only increasing day by day. And they're going to get worse. With frequency and intensity, they will get worse and worse and worse. Until the world is destroyed with fire. Do you know what's going on today? Do you know what's going on today? Those of you who know your Bible and have listened to me preaching prophecy over the 33 years, the spirit of Antichrist is at work. Not the Antichrist, he hasn't come. He can't come until the church goes. But the spirit of Antichrist is preparing the way for him to come. Hence the confusion. Hence the fear. And the riots. And the plunging of the economy. And everything that's going on around us this morning. Suicides. It's all 
the spirit of Antichrist working, preparing the way for one day for the man of sin to step forth. He has to prepare the ground. He's preparing the ground. So that people will be so disillusioned with the all that's going on. No job. Can't go to the pub. Oh, God help them. Can't go to the pub and they can't go to the cinema. What are we going to do at Christmas? And where are we going to get a vaccine for this virus? And if a man steps forth... And here's the cure for this, for the vaccine. They'll all fall at his feet. And many Christians too. He's preparing the way. Let me say, this is the bid of the beast. To dominate and to control and to take over when the church goes. And if he couldn't do it with army, and listen, Hitler tried to do it. Mussolini tried to do it. Alexander the Great tried to do it. Julius Caesar tried to do it. They couldn't do it with armies, but they do it with fear. What armies couldn't do, fear can do. And he struck fear into the very heart of men and women globally this morning. And the world doesn't know that. Do you know why the world doesn't know that? Do you know why those scientists and men and all others out there, those big brainy boys all out there don't know it? Because they're natural men. They're not spiritual men. And Paul says about the natural man, the unregenerate man, he receiveth not the things of the God, they're foolishness unto him. Now, listen to me this morning that that boy's a fool. Now, hauled down at the side of a river in Tyrone, he's a fool. Does he know? Do you know about science? Nothing. Never done it in my life. But I know what the Word of God says. Their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. Their minds are black and dark and doomed and damned. They can't see this. The world doesn't know it. Now here's the sad bit. The church doesn't believe it. I tell you, if every believer believed what I'm saying this morning and how close we are to the end this morning, you wouldn't go home for your dinner. You wouldn't be thinking about anything else all week, only getting my children saved and, and, and only getting right with God and, and only being ready for Him to come. You wouldn't be thinking of big houses and big lands and big futures and big days. They're all going to be burnt up. No, the church doesn't believe it. If possible, he'll deceive the very elect, and it is possible. Now, I'm very careful what I'm going to say now, but I've wrestled over this message late and early. Do you think that it's the will of God and the way of God to stop the saints of God from singing praises and rejoicing in the house of God? Do you think that's God's will? Do you think it's the will of God to stop the children from being taught the gospel truth early in life? Especially in this evil hour? 
Do you think it's the will of God that children and teenagers should be locked in their rooms with earphones and iPads and smartphones and across the airwaves coming all airways infested with profanity and pornography? Do you think it's the will of God? Do you think that it's the will of God to bar the people of God from remembering His Son? Well, answer it in your own heart now. Do you think it's the will of God to stop collective prayer meetings? Especially in this month of October? This is the devil's New Year's Eve. You know that October is the devil's New Year's Eve. The 1st of November is his New Year's Day. That's where his poor, deluded people out marching around graves praying for the dead on the 1st of November. The devil's New Year's Eve. He's making us plunge for the new year. He's making us plunge for the new year and he's setting a strategy for the new year. And that's why he's calling up, he calls up the demons and the witches and all in this month. Do you know that? Do you care about that? Do you, do you, did you hear about the new drug that they killed six over in England? The devil's breath. They say that if you breathe it out, you'll just might a half a dozen people. This is the devil's month. You know, I was encouraged, a young man said to me coming in, do you not think we should have a half a night of prayer on New Year's Eve? I do, surely. This, he's making his pitch now for his new year. Do you, do you think that we should stop praying and give him ground? Let him take over? Run and run to our corners and to our attic spaces. Now I'm not saying that this COVID doesn't exist. I'd be a fool if I'd say that. And it does, and it's real, and it's deadly. But like anything, any plague, anything, we have to do what we can to keep ourselves safe. And I'm sure that our authorities are acting on the sciences and they're not doing it mischievously. I think they're doing it. They're doing it for the best of the populace's sake. But whether they're right in the way they're implementing it is another thing, and that's not my business. And it's easy to criticize the authorities. It's easy to stay on the sidelines and criticize them. But this is deadly. This is dangerous. And if we go down the road in the car, we put our seatbelt on. And if we're climbing the ladder, we have to do it according to building control. They made us put that flash around that tank there. They said somebody walk into it. You have to put something around it that they'll see it. So we had to do it. A debate. It's easy to criticize. Now, I preached to you on previous mornings on COVID 19 and the stirring, COVID 19 and the sifting, and COVID 19 and the shielding. 
I'm going to speak to you in the time that I've left this morning, COVID-19 and the scriptures. The question is this. Should we shut the doors and lock the gates and turn off the lights if the authorities command another lockdown? And if we do, have we the scripture for doing it? And if we don't, have we the scripture for doing it? We're supposed to be men and women of the book. We can't run from the book in a crisis. You run to the book. We have to go with the book. Now I'm going to tell you what the book says this morning. I'm going to tell you very plainly and simply what the book says. And I say again, we must take all the precautions we want to take. You feel you need to take. But I'm going to give you two scriptures this morning that I believe categorically teach, and only two out of many, for we have only 15 minutes or more. I believe categorically teaches that the powers that be in the land and our government have no right to legislate for a church to close. They can't mandate a church to close. The church of Jesus Christ has always fought for survival. Always. From the very beginning. And we're going to have to fight for survival. The church was born for battle and born in battle. Do we capitulate to the authorities that be? Not necessarily because of COVID, because of anything. Any inflammation to bring the sick. You can't go into that house of God and you can't pray and you can't sing. And you must wear this and you must wear that. Can they do that? Well, I'm afraid they can't according to the word of the living God. And I want to build my case, first of all, on Acts chapter 5. And uh, in Acts chapter 5, here we have the early church. Now listen to me this morning. We have the early church. The early church is our manual, it is our manuscript, it is our pattern. We take the early church for baptism. We take the early church for membership. We take the early church for preaching the gospel. We take the early church for revival. We take the early church for tithing. We pattern and base and model our church right from the early church, the foundation church, and that is right. And why should we not? This is the word of God. This was meant for the church today. Great commission. Prayer. All comes and stems from the early church. And up until now, in this land, the fundamental faith has never been interfered with. We have had complete and utter religious liberties. But now, secular authorities and ungodly leaders... State 
and dictate and control what we do. Basically, how we run the house of God. That's what's happening. And it's going to happen more. Well, in Acts 5, here we are. The apostles, after seeing thousands of souls saved and baptized and joining the church. And here we read in verse 14. Verse, we read in verse 14, yes, verse 14. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both men and women. Now what happened then? They came and they put them into prison for preaching the gospel. When the blessing was going, they took them and they put them into prison. Now verse 19. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they had heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning. The angel came in and rescued them out of the prison where they had them. God told them, go you into the temple courts and stand and preach the gospel. And when they went in, they preached the gospel. Verse 22, and when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, the prison truly found we shut with all safety. And the keepers standing without before the doors, but when we had it opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would go. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple, and they're teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them and set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you, this is the Roman authorities, that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and ye tend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now watch this verse. Then Peter and the other apostle, let me say they were all in unity. And we need to be in unity in this thing. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with the right hand to be a prince and a saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are, now watch this word, witness is the word martyr. We are his martyrs and witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Full stop. Now watch this verse again. That verse, verse, verse 29, Peter said, We ought to obey God. Do you know that the old Latin word for that word, word ought is the word owed? Now hold on. It is the word owed. And in other translations, and three other translations apart from the King James, it says we must. We must. Now what are the early parts? Listen, you're going, to believe, you're going to believe them on all these other things. Well, you're going to believe them on this. You're going to set your firm, firm, firm foot on this foundation. What are he saying? He says we owe it and we must. 
preach the gospel. We owe it to our Lord. And so do I, and so do you. We're debtors this morning to God. Now you let that sink into your head. We owe it, and we must, and we will preach, no matter what the Roman authorities tell us not to do. Because here's what God told them in verse 20. He says, go stand and speak. That's what they were to do. He told them where to go. Go to the temple courts. He told them what they were to do. They were to preach to all the people, all the words of life. Give the people a full gospel. That's what God told them to do. He says, oh, you listen to them, boys. You just give the word, the whole gospel. I'll protect you. I brought you out of prison. I'll bless you. I'll protect you. You're heralding the word of God from me. You're my witnesses. You're my witnesses. Now let me clear something up here. Many believers quote Romans 13 and other scriptures. Romans 13 says this. And if you're missled over this, listen this morning. Romans 13, Paul says, every soul must be subject to the powers that be that are ordained of God. But he's talking about the Roman authorities, the Roman rule. And we have to obey the authorities, and if they put up the taxes, we have to pay it. And if they change the speed limits, we have to obey it. And we have to obey the authorities, whether we like it or not, or whether the Sinn Féin are in government or not, doesn't matter. That ungodly crowd over in Westminster, past lot, we must obey them. We must obey them. This was under the wicked rule of Nero when the Christians were being persecuted. And Peter says, submit yourself to the laws and ordinance of God. And Peter knew all about it because you know what God, the Lord said to Peter? About the taxes. He says, Peter, go and pay the taxes. Here's the money. He took it out of the fish's mouth. Go and pay the taxes. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. Boris Johnson's not the head of the church. Nor Michelle O'Neill or Mrs. Foster. They're not the head of the church. There's one potentate, the head of the church. And that's Christ. He's the head. And the head directs the body. And the head tells the body where to go and what to do, not them. Do you hear that now? I'm bringing you out basic scriptures this morning. One of them, I'm bringing you all in a minute. Very, very simple scriptures. Christ is the head of the church. We don't obey them when it comes to stopping us from praying. We don't obey them when it comes to stopping us from singing. We don't obey them. We have to use our own common sense. We have to come to agreement amongst ourselves. But they don't tell us. Oh, no. You see, this whole thing is one word, obedience. We must, we ought to obey. And so that's the whole kernel and heart of the Christian faith. That we obey it. Witnesses. We're martyrs. That's the word. We get the word martyr. 
That's why the Covenanters were slain and their blood ran down the hills in Heather of Scotland. Because they were barred from worshipping. They were barred from obeying God. That's why the martyrs of Smithfield, Thomas Bilney and Thomas Bennett and John Rogers and a host more, burnt at the stake. That's why John Bunyan spent six months in a Bedford jail with a, a mother and blind child at home starving. Obedience. That is why 11 people every day, 365 days of the year, in this very day that we're living in, 11 people will be crucified, beheaded for their faith by the Isa and the Muslims. They'll burn them in front of their children. They'll douse them in front of their children. They'll put them into tar. 11 every day in Somalia and in Afghanistan and in North Korea. Eleven every day. Because they, they will not recant the name of Christ and disobey him. Jesus says, blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you for my name's sake. And when I was just at this stage of my message, God brought to my mind a girl the name of Blandina, years since I read about her. But God brought it to my mind. She was one of the Leon martyrs of the first century. Fifteen-year-old slave girl ordered to line up and bow to the wicked Roman emperor, Marcus Aurelius, bow before a statue. And here's what she says. I love Jesus too much, and I'll not do it. And then she says, I'm a loyal servant to Rome, and I'll do all that the laws tell me to do, but I must obey God rather than men. Didn't I tell you that this COVID would do a sifting and a shaking and a stirring? They stripped her, they scourged her, until she almost died. And the Lord spoke to her and says, And then I fear not him that can kill the body. And whosoever confesseth me, bef me before me, and I will confess before my father. For two full weeks they constantly tortured her every day. Fifteen years of age. They turned a lion and a bear on her and they wouldn't attack her. They sat her on a red hot plate. Burnt her to the bone. And then they stabbed her to the heart. She says, I ought to obey God. I must, I owe it to him to be a witness for him. And my friend, if we wouldn't have had people like that down through the centuries, we would have no church this morning. Now I want you to quickly turn with me to the last one and it's over to Hebrews. Take your time now. Uh, we'll have you out in good time. We're going over to Hebrews, turn past the Acts and fiddle through there, Ephesians and into Hebrews chapter 10 and you can study this one for yourself Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10 and 
and verse 22. And our context here is the church is worshipping God or worshipping God in the house of God, in the assembly of God's people. Look at what he says in verse 22, Hebrews 10. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our body washed with water. Let me stop a wee minute. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart. There must be a conscientious drawing. The heart must be right. And have we drawn here this morning with an honest heart? That's how we're to draw near. But then he says we must draw near with confidence. Look at it again. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That is the word of God. In full assurance. Without displaying, having our heart sprinkled from evil conscience and our body washed, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without swerving, without wavering. You see, you have the conscientious, the conscientious, you have the confident, you have the cleansing. As they wash their hands at the altar, we're to come clean before God. Verse 24. Verse 24 says this. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Can I say a wee word this morning? Friend, we need to encourage, that word means, we need to encourage one another in these days. When we draw near to the house of God, we need to encourage and consider others that are worse off than we are. And listen, we have had sick people in this assembly. Did, did you, would you have thought of ringing the phone Lifting the phone and talking to them and telling them we're praying for them. We need, to, we, need to, we need to have compassion, you know, for one another. We need to encourage one another. Not just all about ourselves. Oh, am I safe? So we say, it says here that we must draw near, considering one another. Now here's the verse, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. There's a command there in verse 25. There's a command not to forsake the assembling or the gathering into the house of God as some are doing. Not to forsake. You know that word forsake is abandon. Now I'm coming to a close this morning. Here's what God tells us about the house of God and the assembly of God's people. It doesn't matter what's going on out there. This is what he tells us. And if he tells us, he'll protect us. This is what he tells us. He says forsake not, abandon not. That's the same word used when Jesus hung on the cross at Calvary. Hear me, hear me this morning. As he cried out that awful cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God forsook him. He says, don't you forsake the church. Don't you forsake the assembly. 
Don't you forsake the house of God's people in an hour of crisis. Because that's what it boils down to. The other place you'll get that word is Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, the same word. He's left me in the Lord. He preached with me, he prayed with me. And we're in trials, we're in trouble, and he's away back to the world. God help us. God's looking for soldiers in these days of every need. As a, one more time, that word's used. That word forsake. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. That's the same word. And he'll never do it. He'll never, ever do it. Because that's what the Greek is. He'll never, never leave us or forsake us. But you wrap that round and get it into your heart and head as you go down into this week. We might have forsaken, we might abandon and fiddle and fool about, but he'll never. Now here's, here's the close. As we come to, there's only one other place in Second Thessalonians that we read this word, gathering together, assembling or gathering together. And it's in Second Thessalonians, and here's what Paul says. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together unto him. <laughs> the rapture. There's going to be a gathering together unto him. The trumpet's going to sound any day. The dead in Christ shall rise forth, and we shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. We shall assemble. We shall go to be with the Lord forever. The gathering. What a gathering. We sang it at a funeral here some years ago. What a gathering that will be. What a gathering. From every dot and clime and tongue. What a gathering that will be. When the graves all open and the dead in Christ cry, Oh, I tell you. I tell you. What a day that will be. What a gathering that will be. In the meantime, keep looking on to him. Keep looking on to him. He's coming soon. Coming soon. Do you know, it says at the end of that, as we see the day approaching. Now, we see it approaching. So where better could you be than meeting with God's people? Oh, oh, but oh, no. Now, listen, are we not supposed to give our lives for souls? Are we not Christian martyred believers to stand in the gap and save others? And reach out to others? What odds if we keep to do what we have to do and do the best that we can as we do it on the roads and do it up the ladder and do it anywhere else. If we do it, do it. But oh, we have a duty. We have a duty to poor perishing souls out there. Do you know that the word corona in the Latin is the word crown? Now, if you take nothing else away with you, take this 
The crown. That's the Latin word. It's a symbol of power and authority and rule. It's an invisible foe. And I tell you, it has authority this morning. And it has rule this morning. And it has power this morning. It's controlling every facet of life. But our hope is in another crown as we come round the table. The crown of thorns laid upon his lovely bar. Cursed thorns hammered down onto his brow. What humility. I tell you, they crucified him and they buried him and the third day he rose and this morning, listen, he's crowned with glory and honour. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he's in complete control. And one day, soon, we shall see him in all his glory. What a gathering that will be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the attention of the people and we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and grace. Give us, Lord, love for one another, compassion for one another understanding of one another. Save us, Lord, from our critical, cold spirit. We know, Lord, that there are many this morning and some not here that have told us that they're not here because they fear this. And we understand that, Lord. There are those with families and loved ones. and Lord, we understand that and we pray for them. Bless them, O God. Bless them, Lord. And help us, Lord, to consider one another as we gather together in the house of God for none of us have the answers but all we want to do Lord is to serve thee the best we can all we want to do is to obey Lord as these men and women obeyed God we ought to because we owe it Lord to thee O God what if our life is taken what will it matter Lord it's only into the glory into the presence of the Lord O God would rather our life would be taken serving thee and trying to reach the lost and praying for sinners. Oh, God. And something else, Lord. But, oh, God, you know our hearts. And every dear person here this morning, Lord, the different thoughts and families and loved ones, and we roll all at thy feet. And just thank you this morning for all your mercies and all your help. In Jesus' name, amen.